This is Retake, a show about enjoying the cinematic arts. That includes TV shows, award-winning masterpieces, animated flicks, 80s throwbacks, pretty much anything by and large. I'm TJ. I'll be your host on this cosmic journey. And with me today is our friend, our captain, the captain of the Axiom, Joe Darnell. Hi, Joe. Does that does that make me Otto? What, who am I? I don't want to be Otto. Oh, no, you're, you're a human being. You're one of the people floating around in a chair. Oh, no. <laughs> well, given what we were just talking about before we started recording, uh, which is weight and working out and eating right, uh, I, 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 re- I resemble that remark? Uh, anyway. <laughs> well, and if I'm the captain, it's not saying much for me either. Yeah, that's true. I, I wouldn't have called you the captain had I written this opening, but you wrote the opening for me, Joe. So it was yeah, just too you much called fun. yourself captain. Well, I wasn't about to call myself Eve, and I'm not boxy <laughs> enough to be Wally. I don't have big eyes. Yeah. And you're not a you're not a trash compactor. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I I have a heart on the inside. I'm not hollow on the inside. Yeah, yeah I am yeah, a collector. I, I, we have that in common. Well, Joe, we missed you last week. We talked about Sing with Tim Smith. That was fun. Did you see Sing? No, no, that's okay. I'll catch it sometime. Okay, you should. It's it's definitely worth watching. I think Tim liked it more than I did, but I I enjoyed it. It was very good. So I'll watch it with the kids when it comes out. It'll probably come out around my birthday in the spring. So there's a oh. lot of movies that roll over into the spring that were released for Christmas, and yeah, it's a good time for those movies. So oh, Your birthday's coming up. I should get you something. Uh, no pressure. <laughs> well, today we're talking about WALL-E. Uh, so WALL-E was released on June the 27th, 2008. The director and writer, uh, co-writer was Andrew Stanton. The production budget was $180 million. Worldwide gross was $533.2 million. So it made a little bit of coin, Joe. <laughs> the yeah, <it's> considerable <laughs> yes the cast uh wally didn't have much to say per se but his sound effects and what vocalness he had were done by ben burt he you may you may have heard of him Pro- probably not but he has done super famous stuff like he's done all the star wars episodes sound effects like he came up with the lightsaber sound that's what he did so and he also did sound effects for things like indiana jones and lots of other stuff but but star wars is probably what he's known best for uh, and then Eve uh, was done by Alyssa Knight, uh, even though she didn't have a lot of vocal stuff. She had more than Wally, uh, and addition, and she's she's done additional voices for several Pixar films. And then uh, Jeff Garland was the captain, uh, and uh, he was also in Cars Two, Toy Story Three, Arrested Development, things of that like. Uh, and then Otto, this is my favorite, Joe. Otto, it was done by the Macintosh uh, speech. A text-to-speech program for the Apple Macintosh. I believe this is a classic Macintosh OS 9 and previous uh, thing. Yeah, <laughs> it was I used, used to listen to him. I used to yeah, have him, yeah. and you could feed words to him, and he'd spit them out. And it yes. sounded just like auto. Yep, yep, yep. So that was Macintosh. Uh, and it, funny funny enough, if you look up Macintosh on uh, IMDb, it says he was born in 1984. <laughs> <laughs> He's one year uh, older than me. Yes, so, uh, and he was used for the voice of Otto, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, he, the composer uh, was Thomas Newman. Uh, man, I've really failed on the outline this week. <laughs> How did you grab that so fast? Uh, I just knew it. I, oh. I already knew it was, it was Thomas Newman. <laughs> okay, so Joe, now that I've fumbled through a partially finished outline, would you care to, and I know I worked extensively on the storyline, <laughs> so uh, this, I actually wrote the storyline, so this should be fine. So oh, you, okay. You should be able to do this one. So why don't you read us the storyline? All right. Thank you, TJ. In the distant future, when mankind has abandoned Earth because it has become covered with trash and products sold by the powerful multinational by and large corporation, Wally, 
a garbage collecting robot that has been left to clean up the mess. Mesmerized with trinkets of Earth's history and show tunes, Wally is alone on Earth with a sprightly pet cockroach until Eve shows up. Eve is a sleek and dangerous reconnaissance robot sent to Earth to find out if the planet can once again sustain life. Wally falls in love with her and hitches a ride back to her ship where she needs to present the evidence. But will she be able to? The fate of the human race hangs in the balance. Yes, it does. Okay, good times. Uh, I I love the, uh, that's a well-written piece there. Good job. Except except where I missed the S on the needs. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Retake. So, Joe, I have a feeling you've seen this a few more times than I have. You know, I've only seen it, I had only seen it once until last night. (gasps) What? Are you serious? I am. Oh, wow. What have you been watching? Finding Nemo reruns? (laughs) I think I've only seen Finding Nemo twice. Wow. DJ. Okay, so which uh, Pixar film have you seen the most? Ah, uh, that's a great question. Probably, probably The Incredibles, Toy the Story. The Incredibles, uh, but be, behind Incredibles would probably be Toy Story, maybe. Uh, I, th- oh, okay. mm, I don't know. Definitely, I would say definitely The Incredibles is the one I've seen the most. Because we actually had it on DVD before we had any other Pixar films for quite a while. In fact, uh, we went, my, my wife and I, before we were husband and wife, uh, while we were still dating, we went to see that movie new in the theaters. Uh, so nice. and that, that was that was actually the first Pixar film I ever saw was when we went and saw it new in the theaters. I saw this film at least twice in the theaters. I fell in love with it instantly. And when it came out for home entertainment, I watched it over and over again almost every day for at mm. least the first month because I was studying it. I, there was just so many visuals to to look at. And, you know, it's not like I was watching it from start to finish, but I'd start it and I'd watch the first half of it and then I'd watch the second half of it the next day. Mm-hmm. And it was just fun to pay attention to what they were doing with the music on one viewing and then another time to, like, pay attention to just all the little details concerning the humans and then the robots and then any anything that had to do with, by and large, like, figure out what was this evil <laughs> company up to, you know, like, where did their plots begin and end? You know, was there really any sense to it? Was... Was this just an accident? You know, things like that. Like, how do you end up with a with a steering wheel like Otto? You know, I, I was trying to piece these things together because it was an expensive kind of universe. Like, it offered a, lo- a great playground for the imagination. Yeah, I can see that. And and there's certainly a lot that's fun about Wally, but But, you know, too, I think it, it certainly is trying to at least somewhat seriously deal with issues that, that, that we perceive are facing us, such as the you know, the care of the earth. Uh, and that's something that, that I do care about personally as well as the, is the care of this planet that we live. This is my favorite planet, Joe. Uh, so, <laughs> no offense to I, the I other planets so. and planet dwellers, but this is my favorite and I want to take care of it. So, so Wally certainly has those aspects of, you know, of, of caring for the planet and what happens when you don't. And, and speaking of by and large, I think that the idea there is they kind of and, and you, you, if you studied it more than me, you'll probably have an opinion on this, but they're, they basically trash the planet by becoming the one large corporation go-to that everybody goes to and, like, they didn't take care of their waste and yeah. that people got lazy and, and you know, I, I, the, you know, all of it's kind of hyperbole, but, but you know, I, I sometimes think about all the junk we leave up in orbit from our space, you know, stuff and, and people talk about the junk that's up there and having to navigate around it and stuff and it's like, well, geez, can we clean up after ourselves a little bit? <laughs> yeah, it feels a little bit like there's an, a piece of truth to it. But what I think it really does is it feels like uh, something that is a l- little simplistic, like a good bed- bedtime story premise from a storybook. 
So if you're picking up a good book for the kids, one of my favorites is called But No Elephants. And it's about a grandma who uh, is the center of the story. We call her grandma. Or no, yeah, Grandma Tildy. And you never find out, you know, who her grandchildren are. But we all call her Grandma Tildy. And it comes along this uh, pet salesman. And he has a truck full of, like, all different kinds of animals. And he sells her a, a random animal. And then the next day, another one and another one. And every time, Grandma Tildy says, okay, I'll, I'll take this one, but no elephants. And then finally, the elephant is the very last animal in the lot. And then the pet man says, I have to sell the elephant. I have to go back east. I have to sell him now. And Grandma Tildy pitches a fit and then leaves the elephant out in the snow overnight. She feels bad. And then she lets the elephant into her home. And then the rest of the story continues. You know, it's a charming little thing that works for a bedtime story. And I think that 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 clever, um, that special suspension of what makes sense and what just works because it's charming is what they were able to bring to the screen for this film. So the way that this worked was that Wally and what he was and everything he represented in this world that was corrupted by, by and large, and the human race who just allowed for trash to run rampant in the earth and to create all kinds of toxic waste, you know, dust storms to wipe out the, the rest of the vegetation. You, you know, you like Wally and what he represents as a beacon of hope and what he might be able to accomplish in this bleak world. And because he is just so, so uh, adorable and likable and embodies all the best qualities you would want from somebody who never lets anything get him down, uh, you're just really uh, just pleased as punched with how it balances this ridiculousness of the premise. And like I said, it feels like a very comfortable children's bedtime story. I mean, on the one hand, I suppose it is a ridiculous premise, as you say, but on the other hand, is it any more ridiculous than something we love as much as Toy Story? Uh, you know, I mean, I don't know that it's ridiculous on the on the scale of Pixar ridiculousness. It feels more realistic than anything else they've done, probably. And, well, in the first viewing, I wasn't thinking so much about whether or not this thing was believable. I was just blown away by the fun mechanics of the robots, how they ticked, That's how true, they were designed. Yeah. I was paying attention yeah, yeah. to their their motion like how do, how much battery power does Wally need how often does he replace his parts why is he the last one maybe there are others that are in some other city a hundred miles away that he doesn't know about that are still functioning you know and is Eve the only reconnaissance droid on the earth today like you know I wondered about these things and I, I was just I was just fascinated with that stuff but then also one of the things is uh, I, I am a bit of a romantic and I, I thought that this was incredibly charming the way that they suckered punched me into enjoying Wally uh, pursuing Eve and Eve warming up to Wally and understanding him. I thought it was pretty fun. And so it was a uh, real, really artistic. It was good for the kids and uh, really the bull as a whole. Yeah. And the nice thing too, I was just noting uh, that it's an hour and 38 minutes. So they, they felt like they had an hour and 38 minute story and they didn't feel like they needed to pad it out to two hours, uh, which most films these days are. So um, they told a story in an hour and 38 minutes and I appreciated that. Uh, it, you know, I don't like it when a film feels too long and this one didn't, it felt like they had a story to tell and they told it. Hmm. Good point. That's a very good point. So, uh, let's talk a little bit. Oh, oh, one thing I wanted to mention in, in terms of the realism that I was mentioning a minute ago is, um, the, the, the story felt grounded enough that they put real people in this film and it's all in the flashbacks. Anything you're looking at in the past is all real people, real sets, real. When you're looking at a picture of the past, it's real. Which is interesting. That's a very interesting choice for an animated film. You know what I'm saying? Like even one of the characters who speaks on screen in this film, when we see him, 
Uh, I know him from uh, Stargate SG-1, but I think he's been in other things I've seen as well. Uh, but he, I can't remember the actor's name off the top of my head, but he is a real person in this animated film, which is just a little bizarre. How do you feel about that? It was it was good because it added to the mysteriousness of by and large, because everything on Earth is real. It's not meant to look like it's photorealistic. So it's not like anything that by and large touched looks like it's from a bygone era where everything is absolutely real. No, it looks like it belongs in a Pixar film where it's beautifully artistic and you know, authentic, but it is more artistic in CG than it is like photorealistic. And so it really, at, at first, it kind of took me out of the movie the way that, say, uh, bringing in the animation and Mary Poppins together happened. Mm, and mm-hmm. for just a few minutes, I was kind of like, what is your premise here? How do you, how do you buy into this? You know, all the humans around now look like flubber. So how do you pull this off? <laughs> What's the excuse for... Uh, you know, the, this, uh, this lifelike person. So, so they were able to sell me on it once that they made the reveal about the captains in the history. That was, that was really kind of clever. And it, it almost made you even think all the more how, uh, you know, male- malevolent the whole by and large company actually is that it is because of the people running the organization that we're just catering to all of our base nature and all of our, our greed and our gluttony that we we've come to this and you could see how, yeah, something like this would destroy our very humanity and make us all into flubber. I'm going to disagree with you that by and large is a malevolent company or that somehow they're evil. I I think that the villain is us. The villain is the people. The villain is the people who enabled uh, by and large, the villain is not the faceless corporation of by and large, although you uh, that argument could be made. I, I don't make it and I wouldn't make it, but I, I can see the argument being made that by and large is a faceless corporation and therefore evil. But I think that the, the real villain in this film are the people uh, who enabled this to happen. And that is the, the people who are still enabling it to happen. Obviously, it was their predecessors, but now the descendants are still enabling this to happen by, uh, you know, they, they even went so far as to show these two people waking up to the world around them having never engaged with it before. They they were all caught up in their devices and they had these screens over their heads and and they these are the villains of the film. That that's really the villain of the film is is the people who enabled this to happen. Otto's not I would contend that Otto is not the villain and the villain is also not by and large the corporation. The villain is not uh any other robot or thing or device. The villain is the people enabling this. And they have to learn to overcome it. And and that 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 charge is led by the captain who wakes up to this reality that he, that they need to get back to earth. And so that that is a that is how they overcome this problem that they've created. Okay, I'll buy your theory to a point, but at the end of the day, it's Otto that tries to kill Wally, and it's his minions that try to get rid of the plant and get it off of the Axiom, and they ultimately try to do Eve harm too. So it's really hard to ignore that and call the the naive and the ignorant humans the enemies. But I see your point. Well, I, I would and, call Otto and and all the other you know robots that were with him enable. Uh, they they're sub villains, but they were enabled by the primary villains, which were the people themselves. Yeah. No, I see, and because of their magnificent change of heart because Wally is just that sincere and that compelling in his cause. We, uh, we, the human race uh, gets to see earth for another day. Yeah. Yeah. That I like, yeah, that's good. (laughs) I want to take it from the top. One of the most incredible ways to start any Pixar film was that really enjoyable, upbeat music 
from the mu- that classical musical. I'm, I'm blanking on what it was called, Hello, Dolly. I believe all the musical numbers were taken from. And, uh, you know, it is just super charming. You're seeing space, you see earth, and it's shrouded in this toxic yellow-green shroud of satellite rubbish. And you, you fly in and you, you're just, you know, cutting through this thick, hazy cloud and fog. And then you see what looks like buildings. And you're like, oh, what city is this? And may, oh, maybe it's New York. And you get a little bit closer and it's just towers and towers of trash. They look and, like ziggurats to me. Ziggurats yeah. of trash. And all you're hearing is this really upbeat, old-fashioned musical number, and you're like, what world is this? Yes, yes. It, it, it took me a few minutes to uh, get into it, but because they included so much of the number, as they got closer and closer to Wally and show his parts, show how he's working without revealing his face yet, and not really revealing, even if he's the main character, if you hadn't seen the trailer, you might have wondered. And, and so, like, little by little... You're introduced to the to the disaster area and the effects of by and large before you get to see anything else. And, and they show you all the devastation because they show the, the devastation by the people. If you want to call it the people, then let's say it's a, they're, the, they're, they're the enemies, the antagonists, so to speak. Then you see all the devastation that they have caused by seeing what they've done to Earth from the outside. And then you zoom all the way in down to the last little piece of rubbish on the ground mm-hmm. that Wally is picking up. Yes. It's great. Just, it's such a breathtaking scene. Yeah, I was a little, um, I, I put off as the wrong word, but just I found the opening a little strange of the music. Uh, in the music, by the way, the tune is called Put On Your Sunday Clothes. Um, put and, On but, Your Sunday but, Clothes, DJ. But but the reason it was it was weird to, is just because I would not have expected to, uh, Pixar film to open that way. It was just kind of, off-putting in that way, but once you kind of get used to it, it works pretty well. And I have a feeling it had been so long since I watched it. In fact, it was back in 2008 when I watched it probably, or maybe 2009, because I, I watched it as soon as it came out on home video. Uh, and then that was the last time I watched it. And so I'd forgotten that it opened this way. And I think if I went back and watched it now, I would really enjoy it. Yeah, I think that the way I've rationalized the musical number is that this is the music that is on repeat in Wally's head every day of his life and his work. Mm. So it, it, you hear that he's actually playing a lot of the music, not only in his his uh, cabin where he has his collection, but he's also listening to the music while he works. And you can hear him kind of humming along with the ditty. And it, it's, it makes total sense. Like, this is what workers do. We listen to our favorite top hits almost every day at our computers. No, I, yeah, I'm, I'm constantly, as I'm writing code, I'm constantly listening to music. I'm listening I, to my I, playlists almost every yeah. day, and I never grow tired of them. Yeah, well, and I almost, for me, I have to have music that I am familiar with. Otherwise, it distracts me from doing work. I can't listen to, I, I occasionally, if it's really mind-numbing work, I can listen to podcasts. But mostly, I listen to music that I'm familiar with. Or if I'm in the mood, I might put on something new. But but to the point, you know, that's what Wally's doing. Yeah, the exact same here. I, I feel the exact same way. And because you get that and you appreciate that about Wally, that he is really into music in that way, this is just the music that was available to him, and this is what he is a lot, he's latched a hold of. So it, yeah. as far as he is concerned, this is the only music in the whole world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and and uh, speaking of, of Wally, like, it's interesting – 
that uh, why is Wally sentient, uh, or I, I, he exhibits signs of sentience, and we don't ever find that out. And Eve, the same same thing, and, and Otto, like all the robots, seem sentient. But I guess we just we buy that because it's a Pixar world. I guess I I there's never really any reason given for it. And and the fact that they've tried to make this feel real, insofar as even going to show real footage in an animated film. But then we just we were supposed to accept that these beings are sentient. It's 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 interesting. Yeah, they toy with the idea because you also get the impression that this might be the first time that one robot has ever loved another, mm. and that as it turned out, that Wally was able to convince Eve to love him back, which is huge. You know, that's a dramatic anomaly. So I wonder too, were the other Wallys that you know corroded and broke? And eventually died out and others like him, the other larger compactors and the like were other robots of his generation sentient as well. Or was Wally just ahead of the curve like all the other robots on the Axiom? Well, you notice the wall A's on the ship, the Axiom, uh, they're, they seem to be concerned with Wally as Eve's trying to repair him. And they, they wave as they fly off when Eve sort of repairs him. And and so there's there seems to be signs that they're headed that way as well. Yeah, I, I could see that. And, and if that's the case, uh, it's too bad. I uh, would not want to see the prequel to this movie with a bunch of robots dying over the last 700 years. It'd be pretty sad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, and that, that's also interesting is we see that Wally, uh, his parts are wearing out. And so he replaces them himself, like a self-healing, self-repairing robot, which is, is, is are the other robots gone and dead and corroded and rusting and no good because they couldn't do that or or what's the story there they didn't have the self-awareness maybe it could be that and also i think that there's this idea that wally was at at the right time and at the right place so that he could actually afford shelter and he probably figured out he needed the shelter early on when Mm. there were the sand clouds dust clouds that would come in as a storm and others didn't have any kind of shelter ultimately and because there were probably hundreds, thousands of them, and they were all exposed to the elements, it, they were probably wiped out pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah, maybe so. I don't know. Like I said, I don't want to see the prequel. <laughs> yeah, it would be pretty depressing. A sequel would be interesting, though, and, and Pixar seems to be in the business of doing sequels these days. Yeah, and I think that they could pull it off, though I don't know what direction you would take the story, because a lot of times uh, sequels in the Pixar franchises they kind of become sing-songy, sort of like the same story, second verse. And that was true about Toy Story 2. It, it feels like... Land 3. Yeah, yeah, it really does. And then Monsters, Inc. was complemented that way by Monsters University. And yeah, it, although that technically one was, that's a prequel more than a sequel. But even so, it does feel like same song, prior verse. And, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and so I, I think that it'd be tricky with what you do with uh, the Wally universe. So, I mean, like... Do they eventually uh, replace virtually all of Wally's parts so that he looks spick and span and brand new like R2-D2 at the end of A New Hope? Or what <laughs> Or exactly? every other Star Wars film? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I And I the, the thing is, like, I haven't heard anybody talking about a sequel. I've heard nobody clamoring for it, so who knows? Uh, I, I just happened to think after the movie was over the other day, it's like, I, I could see more stories being told in this world. Like, we still have to rebuild Earth. There's still going to be things to contend with. There's still going to be problems and possibilities. So I think that a, a story could be told that that said um, this, this film was actually conceived way back in 1996 by, um, by Andrew Stanton and a few others, uh, Pete doctor. Um, 
at the same time they were developing other newer Pixar films and this one just got pushed off until now. So, you know, I think that maybe there was this, this one story they wanted to tell and now they're done possibly. And I'm okay with that too. You know, that's something I really admire about Andrew Stanton. He's one of the top executives of Pixar. I think that is really conscientious uh, throughout his craft that he, he'd rather stop with just one great story rather than uh, milk it for all it's worth. I think that even John Laster, as much as I love him, I think that he he always wants to top what he did before. So he would always introduce like a Cars 18 because he, he <laughs> thinks, well, you thought that that was interesting. Well, then let's do this. And I, I think that John Laster always thinks that there's always more material and we could always give it a new spin and, uh, you know, to make audiences happy yet again. And I think Andrew is much more conservative and he's like, no, no, no. I want the one journey that soaks it for all it's worth. It's really heartfelt and I don't ruin it by creating a second one. If it's going to, if it, if it cannot create as much muster as the first and mm, they yeah. stood a chance with finding Nemo and slash finding Dory. Whereas I, I would think that if Pixar the machine wants a Wally two, they could do it. But I think that Andrew might be one of the first to say, really, no, guys, and try to hold off on that idea. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, and the fact that we haven't heard anything about it would it would probably indicate that that's, that's the case. But that being said, it could be one of the easiest. It would be one of the easiest for them to do. Yeah, perhaps so. But, but Pixar has been really good about making sure that the people who need to be involved are involved in the story, like the original people, like – you know, they, it seems like they always had the same people come back to do the sequels, like they're getting Brad Bird to come back to do the second Incredibles film uh, because he did the, the first one. So they don't just go, oh, we have this property, The Incredibles, and we're going to make another movie whether you like it or not. Uh, <laughs> so they, they seem to be really good about that sort of thing. So if there's not another story in, in uh, Andrew Stanton's head for Wally 2, then I don't think we'll see one. So you want to talk a little bit about what you thought of the first act. I, I think that that was, it's really my favorite part of the film. Why? I, my, my thoughts are, why did I care so much about a robot? <laughs> <laughs> why do you? You mean you like, you find yourself in spite of yourself caring about the robot? Yeah. Well, like at first you're like, what's the story here? This is a trash compactor robot. Why do I care? But, but you find out pretty quickly that he's got this really quirky, you know, personality and, and he, he has this way sort of like, um, I, I, it's, it's on a completely different level, but there's similarities. So I'll make the comparison of, of like droids in star Wars and specifically, uh, you know, um, C-3PO or, uh, K2SO or R2D2, like you love those characters. And, and, and so they have this way of drawing you into what should be a hunk of metal. It's just a machine and and yet, uh, the, and the same is true for Wally. And yet, you feel something for him because he's. I guess it's because they're making him relatable, and he's exhibiting these emotions. And so you empathize with his situation. Like he out, he's out here. He's the last remaining thing. Him and his his pet uh, cockroach. And uh, it, that that's it. That's all there is in the world. And you kind of empathize with him. And you uh, you know he's got these quirks, and he play, you know he plays these films. And then when Eve shows up, you know you you. Would you, would you consider that the second act though? Is the first act is before Eve shows up? I would guess. I would think so. Yeah, it was I think on the, the verge of it, or it was either the beginning of Act Two was when Eve arrives, or when Eve is leaving. I, I would say it's when when Eve arrives is when Act Two starts. So then, basically, the entirety of Act Two is about the plant life on Earth, and then Act Three would be, you know, Otto is is evil, and we have to overcome him. 
I think that's the I think that's the appropriate act right now. The actual structure of the screenplay might might disagree with me, but that's how I'm breaking it up in my head. Yeah, I think that act two and three are a little bit blurred because there yeah. is so many things that they have to introduce about the axiom and how that mm-hmm. works. Uh, there's so many systems to introduce. What is the behavior of the robots? What is the living conditions for the humans? What is the hierarchy for the command center? Yeah, and then yeah. when they bring the plant in, they stage it really well where you get right into the story. You're really engrossed in the story. So you're not thinking about how many things they're introducing to you and so many systems that would be off-putting if they, if they were just to technically explain this stuff to you. Yeah. Even down to how do we take the plant, how is it processed through the machine, and then how do we respond to this plant? They make it interesting, a, a, a situation that could get really academic and scientific and rather drab. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. But I think to your point of Acts, Acts 2 and 3 being somewhat fuzzy, I think it's because they are very interwoven. Like everything in, in one act depends on everything in the next act and, and vice versa. Whereas Act 1 is, is a little, you could almost see it as a standalone short story. Like there's this robot out there and he's a trash compactor and he lives by himself and He's developed these quirks, and you could you could almost have Act One stand alone, almost yeah. not quite. Well, while you're on that subject, have you ever heard of the Mater Tall Tales series that was a spinoff from Cars? I've heard of it, and I feel like I've even seen one or two. Yeah, okay, they're they're not hugely entertaining, but I get the point. They kind of remind me of old fashioned Mickey Mouse Donald Duck cartoons, where they're mm. about seven minutes long each. They're wacky humor. They always introduce a completely different setting for the exact same character, even mm-hmm. though in the last one, if he if he really did that, if that was really his life experience, how did he also have this life experience doing completely different things? Yeah. And it, it's that kind of thing with Donald Duck. Like from in one episode, he's on vacation. In the next episode, he is building a house with Mickey. In the next episode, he's a fireman. Like, how, how does it happen? You know, because uh, some of those things don't add up. But it's like that. Uh, What I was thinking was I would just really enjoy a series of short films with Wally on Earth dealing with (laughs) trash and interacting with the cockroach. And (laughs) they could totally do it because all you have to do is bring Ben Burt back in to do the voice parts. And he can't be too expensive as an actor. Are you kidding? He's done some really famous films, dude. I'm sure he would love to do it for a, a, a small fee. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know, but it would just be hugely entertaining. I, I would, I would think that that miniseries could go on if they just introduced a new Wally short for the next six Pixar films. I would go to the theater just to watch those. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> sure. I, I don't know if I would, but I, I get what you're saying. <laughs> if they were as charming as act one of this film, which I totally think that they could do, yeah, then uh, so. it'd be worth it. Well, Pixar almost always, not every time, but most of the time, they really always surprise me. I'll look at a film and I'll think, yeah, that doesn't look that interesting. And then I go and I see it and I'm like, that was really good. I mean, classic example is Inside Out. One of my favorite Pixar films of all time at this point, I think. But I I remember distinctly looking at the trailers and going, I don't get it. I don't understand how that can be interesting. I don't don't think that's going to be that great. But then I, you know... I took my kids to see it because they love Pixar and they love Pixar films. And regardless, I know it's going to be fine for the kids to see, right? And I loved that film. And and the same thing sort of with Wally. I in fact I didn't see it in the theaters because I thought, eh, what what's 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 here? I don't get it. And yet it really surprised me at how how good it was. It's not one of my favorites, but it's good. You know, it's really good. 
You know, that's a funny thing. This is one of my favorite Pixar films, but it's the first half of the film I enjoy the most. And then when it gets into the the story as it concerns the human race, I know that it's it's very important what it symbolizes. And I know that it's extremely well made, but it can't hold my interest like it ha- like the stuff that was about developing the personalities of Eve, Wally, and the other robots that they, that they introduce on the Axiom. So anytime that they start developing the human characters, I, I really wish they could get back to Wally and Eve. And I know mm. that they couldn't pull it off with this story. So maybe that's another reason why I would enjoy film shorts about the robots. I think that they could pull them off and a story self-contained about those characters. Yeah, see, that's interesting. And I get what you're saying. And I do think the first act is the strongest, but I really enjoy the rest of Wally, if nothing else than for the uh, a little bit of space opera that we get. You know, we're out there in, in the stars and we have these these droids or robots or whatever they're called in this universe. And and we got the ship and the cool stuff going on there. And like the, you know, I'm, I, I, I am geeky and nerdy enough that I like some of the mechanics of the sci-fi stuff. It is good stuff. And the Axiom is interesting as a ship. The way that even Otto has this unique relationship with the captain. The fact that they have practically no human crew. That mm. everything is about like your entertainment and enjoyment today here on a cruise ship. That feels like you took a, a ship, a carnival cruise ship, and merged it with a Nintendo Wii. And you got this ship. <laughs> That's what it feels like. I, I, I got a kick out of, again, the captain going, this is the 700th anniversary of our five-year journey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I think five-year journey may have been an allusion to space, the final frontier, These are the, the, the ah, five-year mission. <laughs> yeah. oh. Five-year mission, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because uh, anyway. by and large was feeling really optimistic if they thought that Earth would take care of its problems <laughs> in five years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and then they're, you know, you can totally, at least the picture they've painted of by and large and its its corporationness and the kind of corporate-driven aspect, you can totally uh, get the whole plot point where the the communication that Otto received was under no circumstances return to Earth, and by golly, he's programmed to take orders and obey the orders of by and large, and that's what he's doing, even though it's been 700 years and the situation has changed. Like that's, you know, you get that. You it, you buy that. You do. But at the same time, you're really annoyed at him for not listening to the captain because he is the oh, totally. last man in charge. It's and mutiny. so his, his, <laughs> yeah, his uh, authority today should trump anything that is a, a, an order that's over 700 years old. Right. Well, as far as we know, and as far as Otto knows, the, the highest ranking authority in the universe, as far as humans go, is that captain. Yeah, he's the last yeah. man standing. He's the highest ranking authority. And I, I mean, should, if you look at him, he's, he's also a hard robot. He should be programmed to take orders. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, in Otto's defense, if you look at the captain, it's kind of hard to take him seriously. Well, that's true. That's true. Like he, <laughs> he struggled to get to his feet in order to, to take things, you know, to take the ship back. <laughs> yeah, he, he is a voice uh, override or whatever he is. Uh, uh, <laughs> to, uh, to, to pass. <laughs> voice print accepted. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I love when he has the, the manual. He's, he's trying to talk to Manuel. <laughs> Manuel? To get it to Manuel? Manuel, that's what it was. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's it's a great film. I, I really see it's one of those films that, even though it's not my favorite, I have nothing bad really to say about it. It's and I, I don't either. Film. I mean, like I said, it begins to wane for me whenever it's dealing with the human race, but that is mm. that is a mild complaint. 
Yeah, and, and and I again, I I think that the observations the film makes about the human race is an interesting one. Particularly, it is, yeah. becomes more and more apt. Like you have to remember when this film came out, the iPhone had only been out for a year. Here we are, ten years into the journey of the iPhone, and I and, and smartphones in general. And I think this the the the, the the things that this film is looking at in the human race are more and more apt. What's interesting uh, too is apt, get it. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and one thing I thought was interesting too was the size of Eve's ship when it comes in for a landing and it parks and you see its scale, and it's kind of hard to appreciate, but you just know it's really tall compared yeah. to the bots, you know, Eve and Wally. Again, that's another mystifying thing. If there were several other Eve robots on that ship, why didn't they all go exploring? I don't know. It's just really convenient for the story. And I'm okay with that. Uh, it's a great story. but So yeah. I got the impression that uh, they were deployed in various parts of the world and okay. that Eve was the last stop to pick up. Okay. I'll, I'll buy that. And, and, but, okay. So then when that ship goes back to the Axiom and parks on the inside – you get to appreciate just how huge the Axiom actually is. Because yeah, I wonder Eve's what, the, ship I wonder what the, is, the, yeah. the passenger count was. I would say the Eve's ship is easily a, what would you say, an eight-story to 15-story tall oh, structure? more than that. More than yeah, that. Yeah, at, at least. I, yeah. I would say that it would dwarf probably our tallest building that we have now based on just the way they represented it. Uh, uh, the Axiom or Eve's ship? Eve's ship. Okay, man. See, because like I was thinking, I was already thinking that the Axiom was huge. But if you actually stop to pay attention to when Eve's ship like parts itself inside of the Axiom, it blows your mind. Theoretically, how how difficult it could be to build that ship. There are some scale issues because when you look at just how small the uh, the Eve ship looked next to the Axiom and going into the hold, and then you look at how big that ship looked on Earth, but then you look at them landing like. It, you get the impression the axiom yeah, is the right? size of a small continent, but then they landed on a continent. Like I don't, I, hmm, I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I totally until they landed, my impression would have been that ship was built in space and was never going to be earthbound. That's right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I yeah. think they can get away with it because at that point you're just you're just really enjoying the story for all it's worth. But yeah, it's a minor, minor nitpick. I never would have brought it up under normal circumstances. <laughs> easily though, it could easily hold a population of a significant city. So, uh, yeah, I would say so. Like maybe a couple of cities, like a couple of Chicago's or more. Though it is pretty sad that if, if that's the case, that that's potentially the, uh, the sum total of the human race. <laughs> it's all come down well, to that one ship. Yeah. I mean, we don't know. There may be other ships out there and that could be an interesting place to go for the next walk. Oh, because, dude, you just discovered. Ah, oh, that's it. That's the sequel material right there. Several. Where's a bell? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I really, I really think that that's got to be the sequels material. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's an interesting, because that was one of the things that I was thinking about in my head as I'm watching this film is, yeah, there's one Starliner, but, like, the impression is there were many launched, and the message to Otto was to all the autopilots, all the autopilots, not just one. So, oh, like, so there's other, there are other Starliners out there. Who knows if they survived or not, but, like, we have no reason to believe they wouldn't have. Oh, man, that, that'd be fascinating. I think that that movie could almost be better than the first one. Uh, that, that's just my my thinking because just picturing it in my mind's eye because yeah. if we could build upon what they already illustrated in the like say even down to the end credits with the first film they, uh, they give you this idea that the human race came back to earth and everything is going to be better and it's going to be relatively easy I think that that's that's a little bit too easy 
but you know, the idea that you, you know, you start cleaning up the earth, you get pizza plants and then you got blue jays and beautiful <laughs> streams. Plants. I love that. Yeah. But <laughs> I, I think that they could explore the happily ever after and demonstrate, no, 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 we really needed a lot more help. Well, they certainly had their work cut out for them. And, and the one thing that I also, th- again, this is super nitpicky, but the one thing I did also think about too was, yes, they found one little plant. That was the only indication of plant life we had on the entire planet. And we, you know, at least where Wally was working, I'm not sure Earth was actually ready to sustain life yet. <laughs> so yeah, it's pretty There could bleak, be a lot yeah. to do there. The, now, at the very end, when the captain is ranting about plants, the camera pulls back away from the axiom oh, that's and right. shows the hillside. That. But even yeah, that yeah. is still relatively little. And, and new, yeah. very new. And who knows if even the humans could waddle all the way up to that hillside to discover it. Well, I suppose you figure they can still kind of live off the ship and kind of venture out and slowly rebuild the planet. Maybe that's the idea. Yeah, what do they call them on Star Trek? They have the uh, the food generators. Oh, oh, you're talking about the oh, uh, replicators. Replicators. Yeah, I'm sure they got loads of replicators. Yeah, I'm sure they do. Obviously, they've been living on that ship for 700 years. They could replicate Wally a new body. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, Joe, uh, let's let's talk about our final thoughts here and our ratings. Well, you go first. Uh, I love this film because it's charming characters and uh, I love technology. We didn't even really talk about Eve. She is so cool and badass. And I love that the behind the scenes that Johnny, I've actually had a hand in some of her design and I can see his influence on other aspects. Yeah. Yeah. Now that you say that, I totally see Johnny Ive there. (laughs) Wow. I don't know how I didn't see it before. Yeah, I mean, like, it, he was consulted, at least, for the design. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and I would imagine that that's probably what led to using the Macintosh startup chime for the battery charge and Wally. Oh, well, I mean, Pixar's connections to Apple go way back, that, that's for sure. But, yeah. oh, yeah. my gosh, maybe, I just thought of something. The trash can Mac Pro, like, that's a black, ver- almost just a black version of Eve. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. Uh, anyway um, and so I love this film um, I say that my rating is high very high <laughs> okay K2SO <laughs> would you say four and a half stars yeah four five. and a half stars easily probably a five honestly okay. Be- because my nitpick about the human race stuff is like I said minor it's just that in repeated viewings I find it to be less interesting and I have as many times as I've watched this film I have actually dozed off a few times Oh and, my. and that being said, still enjoyed it. And if I am going to fall asleep, though, it's always happened when it has to do with the people on the axiom. Mm. Okay. Well, I, I also recommend this film. It's it's not my favorite Pixar film, but it's really good and enjoyable. And I would certainly and I, I will certainly watch it again. I don't know how I haven't watched it again since 2008 or whenever it was I, I watched it. I, I yeah, just don't know how that happened. That's amazing. It, it didn't happen. It didn't happen uh, on purpose. I just. I don't know. Stuff came up, but but I really enjoyed watching it a second time. That would really bring in the theme of the show to home and, and, and in for a landing here. You know, watch it again <laughs> for the first time. Uh, so so yeah. And, and in many ways, I remembered various bits of the plot, and I remembered liking it. But it was it was kind of like rediscovering it, and and I enjoyed it, and I rank it very highly. I would say four out of five stars. And uh, yeah, it's a great film. Go go watch it if you haven't seen it in a while. Oh, good I think show. that's it, Joe. Yeah, that's it. You, Would you teacher. tell the kind folks where they might find you and, and engage you in conversation on, on Wally and Eve and the design of Eve and all these sorts of things? Yeah, yeah. If you want to talk to me, I'm available on Twitter anytime, day or night. And I am JCS Darnell on Twitter. 
I like to talk about technology a lot, so uh, if you want to see that stuff, I, I'm always talking about technology, and if uh, you want to mention Wally, it's one of my favorite films, and I'm more than happy to talk about it too. And I am TJ Draper Pro on Twitter. You can find me there and engage us in conversation about the uh, about this movie. It'd be great. You can find the network on which this show resides uh, at Night Owl FM on Twitter. You can find show notes for this episode at nightowl.fm slash retake slash 18. We are, uh, we're legal now, Joe. We're 18. Woohoo! And that, that brings us to the end of this episode. Thanks for, so much for listening. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed this episode as much as we enjoyed making it. Cheers. Ta-ta. Sweet. I am... <coughs> Excuse me. Did you swallow a cockroach? I am TJ Draper... you try one of those Twinkies? <laughs>